Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And I'd like to begin reading at the opening of this chapter. Chapter 2 and verse number 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 7. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And as we look to this passage, let us hear its words as if they are being penned for us individually and personally. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." And if any man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. For the husbandman that laboreth must, first, uh, must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Father, I pray that you would help me now. Lord, as you have strengthened my heart, I pray that you would strengthen my voice. But most of all, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do the work that I am incapable of doing. Father, that you would strike through the hearts of all of us here. Lord, that we would see you high and lifted up in glory. And that we would see this incredible opportunity that you have given to us in this place at this time. And Father, that we would not allow it to pass by gently. But instead, Lord that we would give this life for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I am interested in two words that are found in verse number four. The two words in verse number four, and we could easily be distracted from them because there are some rather gripping words in this verse. We could look at the very opening and see that it is an admonition that no man that warreth. We could enter onto the battlefield of warfare and we can see the battle for the souls of men taking place in front of us. And we could be held captive by that one phrase that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier And both the beginning and the ending of this verse have this idea of warfare that is being conducted. And for us, we place ourselves in the armament of a soldier and insert ourselves into verse number four as a mighty soldier in the battle of God. And I hope that it is, I hope that it is common for us to do so, to picture ourselves with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, I, I hope that we are commonly and frequently looking to the horizon through the slits in the helmet of the gospel and we move forward deliberately as a soldier would in the life that God has given us. However, those are not the words that I would like to emphasize and focus on tonight. There are simply these two words found right in the middle of verse number four. This 
life. This life. Not the other life. But this one. I spent many years in youth ministry and it seems like it was a very common theme for me to try to grab the attention of these kids, these young people who are rapidly growing and taking on responsibility and and feeling like the world is open to to them and, and in some sense it truly was and still is. And it was my goal to make sure they understood the gravity as well as the opportunity of this life. As we grow older, I realize that sometimes we look beyond the, the days of this life and we look for a life which is to come. And in our minds, we open the doors of heaven and we walk past those pearly gates we allow our feet to walk on those golden streets and we look around to the cool, clear water. We feel the breeze of eternity flowing across our brow and we have no worries or fears, nor should we in that day. And we make the most dastardly mistake of thinking that that life and this life are two separate lives. Because in reality, God did not give us that life and this life. Instead, he desired that we might have life, singular, but have it more abundantly. Did not Jesus say to the man Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have a second life? No, he said we should have a second birth, but it's the same life. Yes, the Bible teaches that we should be made new creatures redeemed in Christ Jesus, but that new creature is still a continuation of this life. Yes, that old man is dead, but this new man living in this life is living the same life which will continue forevermore and for eternity. So for our purposes this evening, I would like you to wrap your mind around the idea that the life which you live now is the same life, an unbroken continuation that you will be living for eternity. We are so guilty of segmenting our lives and understandably so for practical purposes that we segment our lives as the life of a child and the life of an adult. But when I look into the rearview mirror of this life that God has given me, I realize that those two flow unbroken one into the other. And as an adult, I still am plagued with the weaknesses of my childhood. The consequences of my adolescence still carry over into my adulthood. And I shudder to think what my golden years will be like. For if my golden years suffer the consequences of my, we'll call them youthful days. Not 40 yet, but it's coming. And I can see back issues in my future. 
and knee issues, not just because of the aging of a body, but because in this life I have not been kind to the knees that connect my femur to the tibia and fibia. I have not been kind to all the vertebrae in my back, and I have fractured them and broken them and abused them and squashed them. And my face, the same face that was pummeled in the boxing ring, I'm going to have to wear this face until they finally lower me into the casket. I hope you're grabbing hold of what I'm telling you this evening. Is that we do not have two lives. This life and the next. Even though we use that language sometimes. We have one life. Which extends for all of eternity. And what is done in this life, we will carry with us for the rest of this life. Yes, some things will be shed and done away with at that judgment seat of Christ for all of those who are godly and are in Christ Jesus. But yet there are still rewards as well as consequences that will be carried for the remainder of eternity in this life. We'll get to those here in just a moment, but in light of this reality and in light of what the Bible has to say concerning this life, I would like to draw your attention to three elements of this life. Element number one is the ambitions of this life. Our life is full of ambitions. We might even um, reduce our lives to one continuous ambition to achieve and to be and to accomplish something. And the word of God comes to this young man named Timothy. And that aged man, the apostle Paul, comes to him with great warnings about the ambitions of this life. And he says this in verse number four. He says that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. The affairs of this life. There are ambitions in this life. There is a warfare in this life. And Paul warns Timothy that no man that warreth entangleth. And it seems like we are busy warring about many different things. Now, to be fair... We, we don't always categorize our ambitions as warfare, but don't we pursue them that way? We pursue our careers. We pursue our accomplishments. Uh, we pursue our relationships at times uh, with the ambition of warfare that we must succeed. In other words, uh, I could say it this way. When, uh, when we come to uh, verse number four, the Bible says, when it says that no man that warreth entangleth himself, we might say that if you are warring, you are not taking things casually. But you are ambitiously in pursuit of the next thing. And here in this life that God has given us, we must be about the ambitious pursuit of Christ. That's what he's telling Timothy. Is that it is easy to get wrapped up in the ambitions of, of the life that we see in front of us without any consideration with the fact that the life in front of us flows into the life that is before us. And when we pursue the ambitions of this world, we are pursuing the things that fade away and will mean absolutely nothing in this life for eternity. 
I take myself to that judgment seat of Christ and remind the church tonight that there are two judgments distinct for all of humanity. One is that judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, the one that we see that we, the believers in Christ Jesus, will stand before the Lord at and we will be judged according to things done in our body and we will be accountable to God for those things. In contrast to the judgment seat of Christ, we have the great white throne judgment. And at that great white throne judgment, I do believe that we will be in the grandstands of that judgment, albeit we will not be under the judgment of it, but instead that judgment is reserved for all of those whose names are not written in the book of life. Those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the books are open and they are found guilty by their works and that other book, the Lamb's Book of Life, is open and their name is not found therein, those lives will live for eternity in eternal damnation forever and ever and ever and ever. They will be in the lake of fire and that flame will not be quenched and their thirst will not be satisfied. And just as sure as I am standing behind this pulpit this evening, there are multitudes in the throes of hell tonight living what they would describe as their life. A continuation of the life they had on earth. For those who have received Christ, that other judgment is still looming for us. And we look at the ambitions of this life, and I wonder if those ambitions are in light of that judgment. In light of the fact that we will give an account to the Lord for all that we've done, that we will stand before him and we will confess him to be Lord of lords and King of kings and we will know that he has searched and known the thoughts and the intents of our heart in every waking moment of our life and we will realize that the things done in this life will be brought to fruition in that place and in that time. And I challenge you, What are the ambitions that you have in this life? Perhaps if Jesus were physically present in this room, he would say something like this. He would say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Perhaps if If Solomon was here, he would warn and remind for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And as we search our own hearts and and we reflect on this life that God has given us, have we compartmentalized the temporary life that we've been given with the eternal life that will flow out of this and the consequences of it? Oh, may we look to the ambitions of this life I notice that there is something else given here by the apostle to Timothy concerning this life. In verse 4, he says, No man that warreth, and he gives this word, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Ambitions I would categorize as being our chief pursuit. Ambitions. Things we're chasing after. 
And sometimes those things that are our chief pursuit and we are chasing after, sometimes it is those things which are our greatest hindrance to making the Lord our chief pursuit. However, sometimes it's not our ambitions which hinder our walk with the Lord. Instead, it's something altogether different. Something that the apostle describes this way as the affairs of this life. Or if I could say it like this, drawing our, our attention not just to the ambitions of this life, but to the activities of this life. Life is full of activities. I love activities. I, I, I love being able to go and do things with my family. I, I love recreation. I love hiking. I, I enjoy playing basketball and softball. I like riding a dirt bike. I, I enjoyed at one point in my time running. I, I don't enjoy it as much because I'm not in very good shape. I know you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jared, you're so skinny. Skinny doesn't mean in shape. It really doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, skinny is a shape, but so is round (laughs) neither of them are in shape but you know there are some activities that that they encroach on 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 the true priorities of our life the priorities of this life some of those activities are activities of enjoyment And there's nothing wrong with having activities of enjoyment. And some of you may be worried right now, you know, is this the time where Pastor Jared begins to bash on us for for playing sports and going fishing? Yes, it is. When those things interfere with your walk with the Lord. No, it's not wrong to cast a line into the water and fish. It's, there's nothing wrong with finding yourself in a tree stand on a beautiful morning you know, with an attempt to take the life, this life, of that deer. In fact, it's a very scriptural thing. And God told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Hello. But the ambitions of our life are not the only thing that that distract us and entangle us in this life. It's also our activities. I had a roommate. He used to say this all the time. The Lord never intended for us to be this busy. I mean, our, our children have schedules and calendars and lists of activities and events, whether it's volleyball or basketball or or art, and I'm just naming the things we did this week. Whether it's, whether it's uh, some kind of ballet or, or, or whether it's family time or going to see aunts and uncles or, or whether it's some other activity or endeavor or some art or, or some adventure that we all go on. And there are many things that are enjoyable in this life. But if this is the one life that we have, may we be cautious to guard so that the activities of our enjoyment... Do not infringe on the activities of our enrichment. You know, you can have an immensely enjoyable life like a drug addict that goes from enjoyable moment to enjoyable moment to enjoyable moment, but there's no depth to it at all. 
All it is is a psychological high because of the activity that we're involved in. Whether it's monopoly or skydiving, choose your poison. We all have a reaction to the things we enjoy. And that reaction can become a false pill that we take to get us away from the true enrichment from a life in Christ. Oh, the ambitions of this life can be a danger. The activities of this life can be an endanger, endangerment, whether it is activities of enjoyment. And there's another word that it's mentioned here regarding our activities, and I, I notice this. No man that warreth, look at this word, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. My eyes find the conjunction which opens the very next verse and continuation of thought. If a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. There's so much that we could say about verse number five and striving for masteries, but but if I could... Draw your attention to that word strive. 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 It's a, it's a beautiful word. It is a word that we get our word athlete from. The Greek word is athleo. It means to contend. You see, your time is always going to be contended for. Everyone else is always going to want to dominate and schedule your time. And even in your own calendaring efforts, it is so easy to schedule ourselves plenty of enjoyment, plenty of activities. But are we focusing on striving towards what the Lord would have us to do? Striving towards the enrichment of his word. Striving towards the investment in others. What are we doing with this life? Oh, and if I could make a rather interesting, what I found to be a rather interesting correlation when I look at this word strive, it's not the only place it shows up in this passage. If we were to turn our pages over just once in my Bible, I come down to this, this warning once again to Timothy in verse 22, how it says, to flee also youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them. And that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Must not strive. I thought he just said that if a man also strive, must not strive, must strive, must not strive. And we could be of like uh, many of the middle, many Bible skeptics and say, see, the Bible's contradicting itself. When in reality, there are some things to strive for and there are some things not to strive in. There are some things that we need to be striving for and striving towards. And the list of those, although brief, is given to us here in this passage in verse number 22. We should not strive for youthful lusts, but we should strive against them. 
And striving against them, we follow after faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And we don't strive with foolish and unlearned questions, knowing that they do gender strifes. It is um, interesting to me, however, that the Greek word which underlies these two words is, is two different words. The first one, athleo, meaning to contend, to work towards. And the next one, machao, or maka, I'm sorry, makaomai, means to war or to fight. You know, we are, I mean, we are independent fundamental Baptists. It's like we love fighting. It's one of our favorite things to do. It's kind of like our spiritual gift or curse. Whichever way you want to look at it. But you know, there are some things we don't need to be striving in and striving against. When I look at verse number 23, he says, But the foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. I see in verse number 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, in other words, must not fight with everybody, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. You know, I I think sometimes we give ourselves a pass whenever we begin to defend the faith. We can do so in the ugliest and most um, disrespectful manner to the cause of Christ. I'm not saying not stand on truth. Some people get real nervous when we begin to talk about being kind and loving and compassionate and understanding. I'm not saying that we sacrifice truth. But what I am saying is that God has prescribed a very specific way to involve ourselves in the activity of that that debate, if you will. And he describes it this way, that we should be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And there's a gentleness, a meekness, because we are not striving against other men. We are striving to reach other men. Isn't that the difference between what we see is a battle like two boxers stepping into the ring. Their goal is not to win by winning over the other person. The goal is to win by demolishing the other person. And it is so easy to fall into that activity of entanglement. Look, this is the only life we have. And it will continue for eternity. And the decisions that we make of strife and of grace, of warfare and of peace, will be part of our story for eternity in this life. We must be mindful of the ambitions. We must be cautious about the activities but there's one more element of this life that, that I would like to pour that, point out before we conclude here this evening. And that is the awards of this life. The awards of this life. Look with me back to verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. 
I love the way that that is phrased here in our Bibles, that we may, or that he may please him. Oh, that verse, the, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Oh, we ought to be familiar with that concept. Because if we fear man, we are so destined to be shackled and chained to what every other man is thinking. But it could also be said that we are concerned about the awards or rewards of men. We want the accolades of men. We want the complimentary words of men. And we need to remember that this life is one that is lived not just before men, but before God. And the true awards of this life are given by him. He is the source of these awards that we may please him. Now, I'm not sure about you, but just about every decision that I make, I feel like I'm always thinking about, will certain people be pleased with this? You know, will Micah Fitch be pleased with this? I'm not sure. You know, is Matt Howe going to be pleased with this? Where's he got? Where is he at? Where is he at, Jack? Oh, security. That's where people go to get out of church. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't anybody get mad at me. See, I'm thinking about what they would think if they heard me say that. Would it be pleasing to them? And I'm like, oh, I better make sure they understand that I'm not upset with them because I don't want them to be displeased with me. See how easy of a mess we can get in? I mean, I'm nervous about preaching truth. In a church that's begging me to preach truth, let alone out there in the world. Oh, and if we would just realize that we live for an audience of one, of God. And if we would live for that audience, then everybody else that observes our life, this life will be seeing a life lived in righteousness and fear of God before him. Oh, that we would remember that the awards of this life do not flow from anybody else. They don't flow from me or your Sunday school teacher. They flow from God and from his throne the source of these awards. awards. But then I, I noticed the service of these awards. The service of these awards. Look with me, verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We've all been called to this service. And by the way, my service is no greater than yours and yours is no greater than mine. For we have all been called by the same God for the same purpose to bring glory to his name. I'm reminded of the prophet Isaiah, how he said, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. I remember what the, or what the apostle says in 1 Thessalonians. Faithful is he who calleth you. It is our calling given to us by God. And if we are his, he is the one that awards us. From what is done in this life. I notice not just the source of these awards and the service of these awards, but the satisfaction of these awards. You know, we all know it's like 
to come home. Maybe we got in trouble at school. Maybe we have acted foolishly and we come home to our parents. Mine are here. And we know that we've been a total disappointment to them. Though that happened very rarely with me. (laughs) Oh, it happened. And we know those feelings. I can't imagine if, if that was my feeling when this life steps into his presence. Oh, in that day, I want to be worshiping him with joy. Or if I could borrow the words of the apostle Paul when he says that he might finish his course with joy. What was he talking about there? Was it that every moment of this life was joyful for him? No. He was vexed with suffering and pain and agony. Those that loved him, abandoning him, they're grieving as he's even leaving those whom he loves because he must follow the call of God as he leaves them in Ephesus and goes to Jerusalem. And Paul's heart is grieved. He writes to Timothy, he knows that his time is short, and he says that he has finished his course, but he has finished it with joy. Why can he say that? Because he knows that he has lived this life in a way that's not a disappointment to the Lord, but in a way that's pleasing to the Father. And when I step in glory, I don't want to be received into those gates with my head bowed with great feelings of remorse and regret because I already know that I am unworthy to be there. And out of that that wretched unworthiness, I will bow myself at my Savior's nail-pierced feet and I will glorify Him as my King and my God. And I will be, I imagine I will be in absolute um, engulfment of tears as the tears stream down my face knowing that I am not worthy to be in His presence. But I do not want to add on top of that a life of regret that could have been spent for his glory. I want to enter in well-pleasing. When I read those words on the pages of my Bible, that he may please him. It strikes through my heart as I see the awards of this life will be played out before him. And might I ask you this evening, what is it that's entangling your life? We would all admit that we're not the kind of Christian that we ought to be. Well, why is it? What entanglement has happened, which has held us down. Some of us were entangled in the ambitions of this life. 
We're pursuing one thing after another, trying to make either a name for ourselves or achieve some man-made objective instead of, of pursuing him. What activities have overwhelmed us and entangled us and that we haven't been able to pursue him like we should Has there been bitterness and jealousy, anger, or even wrath? And the activities that that engulf our emotions, that hold us back from enjoying the pleasures of pleasing Him. What is it that's entangling us in this life? That's keeping us from living pleasing to Him. May God help us. The glorious thing is that although we'll never be perfect and we'll always be fighting those ambitions and those activities and those entanglements, God has promised to give us grace, to show us mercy where we have failed before and extend us grace as we move forward. And all I want to do this evening is remind us that this is the same life which will continue in eternity. And just like the youth uh, that is waiting to serve the Lord until he's older, we don't need to wait until we step into eternity to start glorifying him now that we would give him this life entirely.